Hello, hello, and welcome back to the American Scouser podcast. Uh, we are here to bring you some sad news. Uh, obviously, since the last time we spoke, you've listened to us. Um, we've played the Champions League game. It's uh, Wednesday, December 2nd. We're recording this evening. Um, but the news that Papa Bubba Diop uh, died on the 29th um, in France at the age of 42. Um, obviously, Sadio Mane wore the, uh, the shirt. And there's a, a quote from Sadio I have here. It says, um, It's with a, a wounded heart that we've heard of your passing. Know that you will remain forever in our hearts, even though you left without saying goodbye. RIP, which terribly sad news to begin the podcast with. Um, but there you have it, folks. Um, so we have Paul and Parker joining us. Paul, how are you doing? Good, man. Good. Uh, Thank Parker, you. how's it going, man? Not too bad. So, Thanks yeah, for asking. Um, as, as I just mentioned about the um, Sadio Mane shirt and the unfortunate passing of Papa Bubba Job, we're going to be talking about the Champions League. Um, and moving on later, we'll probably talk a little bit about the Premier League. But um, the Champions League game, that's Ajax. Wow, what a what an outfit they are! Um, I guess the first question is: fifteen minutes in, did you think it was going to be a one-nil game? <laughs> uh, Paul, let's go to you. Yeah, absolutely not. But I mean, that's that's the fun thing about Ajax, right? They they at least come and they play. Uh, they open it up. They don't sit down there with a low block defense and 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 make you drag it out of them, which is kind of fun. So you knew it was going to be somewhat open. Even the first game was open, even though the first game we played them was was one nil with an own goal, right? I mean, it was still pretty open. So I mean, you know, they've got a bunch of they're just they just restock the pantry and they just reload with young talent from their academy. Um, no matter how many players they sell. So, um, not was a good game. It was yeah, a good open uh, game. Parker, the, are they the, the Dutch Liverpool or are Liverpool the, the Scouse Dutch pretenders? I mean, it was kind of like, uh, it was interesting watching them play it out from the back. And obviously they, they caused some mistakes, um, but they played well. Like they looked really attacking as, a, as a, a threat playing it out from the back. And when it worked, it worked. What, uh, what's your thoughts on the the sexy Dutch football. You know, I'm always a big fan of watching Ajax. Um, I think that they're just as someone who's neutral to Dutch football, um, they're just a fun team to watch. You know, it's kind of like watching Byron where, you know, it's going to be exciting. You know that they're going to put on a good show for you. So I always think it's a good time watching them. But the issue is when you're playing them, is they're always a wild card. Um, kind of like how Paul was saying before, you know, they do sell a lot of players. They do feed a lot of players through to uh, bigger clubs. But because of that, you know, it's tougher to scout out, okay, here, this person, this person, this person, they're going to be the wild cards. They're going to be the ones that are the big threats. So I think that's part of it. And I think part of it is that, I don't want to necessarily say they're hot and cold. I think there's more hot and warm where sometimes it's like pretty decent football you're watching with them. And then sometimes it's just an absolute war 
kind of like how it was on uh, I mean we definitely had our chances we'll, we'll we'll delve into the uh intricacies of of the the game itself like I mean like I was saying with the with the first question to you there Paul like after 15 minutes it it was an open game you know like you said they they came to play but um I mean we we definitely could have scored more um as the game grew on uh, like Salah had a couple of chances that I can remember um Firmino, when he came on, he had a he had a, a nice opportunity. Just put it two yards to the, not far enough. Um, but uh, let's talk about the goal, Paul. Um, what do you think is in Onana's head when that ball is reaching for him? Because he kind of has a go at it and then stops. Yeah, he did a little yeah. uh, Simon Mignolet, didn't he? He came at it and like uh, waved at it. Yeah, I mean. I don't know, man. If you look at that, that thing had a ton of bend on it. Like, if you look at Nico cutting it back onto his left and just drilling it across face, it's had a lot of bend on it. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I almost – part of it is I think it was a combination of the amount of pace that Nico had on it and the fact that I don't think Onana really was expecting that cross from there at that point. Um, you know, I, I kind of I – to, I have to look back at it, but I wonder if he was – if his um, – if he was a little bit impeded, like he couldn't see it all the way until it was already on its way. Um, that's kind of what it looked like to me, just because there's a lot of bodies stacked in front of him. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's part and parcel of being a goalkeeper, right? I mean, uh, making those in-flight adjustments. And he's not the tallest. I mean, he's super quick. He's got good positioning and awesome reflexes, but he's not, he's not the biggest keeper. Yeah, I mean, um, Parker, obviously, it, we can talk about it, like, because – What's your take on it? Like, it, does he does he just think it's going past him? Does he think Curtis Jones isn't there? What, like, because even Jordan Henderson was talking about it. And Jordan Henderson said something like, as Nico hit the ball, I give him some stick, which I've tried to research it. And I've tried to listen in. Because you know the way Henderson always, literally, he chases every ball with his words. Like, he's a leader on that pitch. Like, he, and with, without the fans, you can yeah, hear him, right? That's... But he said something to Nico because, like Paul was saying, there was a lot of whip on that ball, and it looks like he's overhit it. Even Henderson said himself, he said, uh, I thought he hit it. I thought he overhit it, so I might have given him a bit of stick when he first hit it, but it was a fantastic ball in the end. Now, that's the skipper, you know? So if you're the goalkeeper, put – God only knows how Curtis Jones got in there and such a deft finish. But what what happened there? I mean, I think it was just a lot of it being just unpredictable ball movement. You know, it. I think this is kind of one of those questions that the answer you're going to get is going to depend on who you ask. Because I would look at it if I were the keeper that, okay, I did something wrong. I mispredicted, I was in a wrong position, you know, something that I would say, this is on me. And that's just kind of my personality type with sports where, you know, if something goes past me, that's something I did. That's something I fell short of. Um, that said, I mean, my the biggest contributing factor, I think, was just that Curtis was there. You know, he was there at the right time in the right spot 
I don't want to call it luck or anything like that because it wasn't. It's it's talent, it's positioning, it's communication, it's being able to work together as one clear, concise unit. But, you know, it's just a lot of moving pieces that came in together to kind of click, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, just a great right finish time. overall. Great, great ball, great finish. And, you know, the keeper puts his hands or his hands around his head as soon as as soon as the ball goes over him because he knows Curtis is finishing that. But what a deft touch just to to put it in between the sticks at such an acute angle. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know if you can really blame the keeper. He the fact that Curtis gambles and goes back there anyway shows that he thought that he was gonna get on it anyway, not the keeper. You know, so just I mean that that level of confidence too, I mean, that'll carry you a hell of a long way yeah. in general in life, let alone as an athlete that's, what, 19 yeah. and some change. You know, having that level of confidence playing in a Champions League match against, you know, not some scrub team, it's against a proper talented team that's going to carry him a long way in his career. That's his sixth professional goal at senior level um, for Liverpool now. He's the third youngest Champions League goal scorer. You might be able to know off the top of your head one of them, but if you can name me both of them now, you get extra brownie points. I I know, right? right Two the other day. I know the young... Trent, Trent, I know, is the youngest one we've ever had. Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll let you. On. I'll let you speak. Go ahead. I'll give you to the end of the podcast, and we'll come back. <laughs> uh, or do you just want me to ruin it for you right now? David and God. Go ahead and ruin it. So that's yeah. who it was. Um, but it's also. Yeah, I knew so, it was like yeah. a lesser. So known. it's the first time in Champions League history that uh, two teenagers have created and finished a goal. Um, so. Yeah, another record we're breaking here, folks. The the wonderful, magnificent Liverpool Football Club. Um, but yeah, uh, we could talk about Nico and Curtis, but we got to mention Keeving, Keeving Kelleher. Um, Champions League debut. Clean sheet, what more can you ask? The kid is a, a legend in Ireland now. It's, it's good to see an Irishman... Uh, on on the lineup for a change, uh, Paul, what's uh, what's your thoughts on the young kid and his confidence levels? I mean, I gotta I gotta know is he copying your hairstyle? <laughs> or you copying his? Because like I I like before I even tried to pronounce his first name, I knew he was oh, Irish. Oh yeah, well, looking at the, the Irish have this beautiful, <laughs> wispy, windswept look. No matter where, no matter where you go, oh, yeah. your hair is is not paying attention yeah. to what is supposed to be happening in the rest of life. Yeah, yeah. plus the red hair, <laughs> just bonus <laughs> Irish points there. Yeah, I don't even know what the original question was. How good do you I'm think so he is? I mean, I, I, oh, I mean, you know? I, I think he's. Yeah, I think I think he's really good, and I think we've rated him for quite a while. I mean, he's been involved. In, in a lot of preseason right. stuff. People seem to be under the illusion um, that he's a, you know, a brand new keeper. It's his Champions League debut, blah, blah, blah. We just signed right. that 17-year-old Brazilian right. kid, you know. So, 
there's a lot of going yeah. on behind the scenes, but Keithy Keller has been there for years, like you said. Right, right. And I think there's, you know, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think a lot of people see new players come to the scene and they just assume like, oh, these new players just pop up. Like there's, there's a ton of due diligence from the time that we scout kids going through the academy, the new transfers, all that. He's been around for a while. I think we've rated him for a while. Um, I think, um, I mean, he obviously had a phenomenal game. I'm uh, like, I want to pump the brakes a little bit on him because I think there's like a tendency for us to have a, a, a gut shot overreaction when a, a player has a phenomenal debut. I mean, Benjamin oh, Woodburn's yeah. the first one to yeah, come to mind. That won't hurt. Uh, you know, like Nico. Yeah. I mean, and I still think he has, the, he's been hampered by some pretty serious injuries. I still think he has potential, but like, it's just an example of like, you know, Nico looked really good at his first outing. Um, you know, I, I think, I think, you gotta you gotta take the sort of the sample size and be realistic with it, especially with the young guys. Uh, but well, what I will say is I was impressed by um, the mentality, like in terms of like how calm he was on the on, in the bright lights on the big stage, like in terms of his demeanor in in not only just the way he played, but his communication with the back line was really solid for for a kid going out there. Um, you know, and then the obvious, most glaring thing is that he can play the ball with his with his feet. Um, he's always really good with his distribution on the back. I mean, I know that he was classically, uh, you know, trained up front as a striker. So I mean, um, he's very comfortable with the ball at his feet, which is obviously very important. Um, I think when we see Adrian, obviously, uh, there's not only is it not a smooth, but there's a bit of panic when there's a heavy touch back to him. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's the same thing that we had with Mignolet and even even Carrius to some extent. Um, some of these keepers who are, are excellent shot stoppers aren't always the best in distribution out the back. And I think I think at the end of the day, I think that's what that's the way Klopp wants to play. Is he wants the ability for a goalkeeper to be able to drop dimes from 40 yards up the pitch on a long ball, but also be able to distribute very easily out of the back. Uh, and I think that, yeah. that he definitely well, brings you that. You might not have got David and Gog, but you get full brownie points there for that answer because you've, you've essentially <laughs> shot every one of my bullet points with a silver bullet right there. Um, what you may not have known is, did you know that he conceded seven goals on Saturday? You did? I did know that. I did, but I, I, I wanted, I, I missed it because I wanted somebody else to talk besides me. I figured you guys probably wanted that. <laughs> You're too. very considerate. You're very considerate. No, I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I did. No, I did read that. I, I mean, I, it, it really hadn't clicked with me. I'd seen that the academy got like, you know, smoked by City, but it hadn't really clicked with me that he had been in that game until after, after the Champions League match. But, I was reading something about points, it. So the yeah, that's that that's pretty incredible. The fact that Klopp actually said uh, I've, I've got the quote somewhere I've lost it, it, it but he said something along the lines of um, that's precisely why he picked him he picked Kelleher because he said I, we wanted the football from the back we knew we were going to need that type of style tonight so you're absolutely right but um, just a couple of quotes from from the kid himself caving or how it's pronounced in Cork would be coiving coiving but uh I'm just working hard every day in training, preparing myself. I've always thinking if a chance does come, I'll have to be ready for it. So that's why I work every day. And thankfully, all that work did pay off. That's all I can do. When I get my opportunity, I just need to take it. I think I've done well. So hopefully I can push on and get another opportunity to just take it again. Parker, that's precisely what you want to hear. Like that's, that's a carbon cutout of precisely what we needed to hear from 
uh, young, what is he, 22 professional, you know? First, first Champions League, first clean sheet. What do you think? I mean, again, kind of going back to that point I made earlier about the confidence, that's huge. Um, I think, I was trying to look it up, I think Kelleher got subbed in uh, when they played in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, when I was able to watch Liverpool play uh, Manu here. I'm 99% sure. I know he didn't start, but I think yeah. he got put in that path. Um, and like that time, the crowd attendance was like 101,000 wow. some change. Picture that today. So the fact that, you know, he was able to play with confidence in that shows a lot to um, yeah. his composition and how well he can just keep calm when the pressure is there. So that's why I think, you know, he'd be perfectly fine. You know, I wasn't that worried when I saw he was starting, you know, uh, because I think that he needs opportunities to shine. And I think given those opportunities, he will be able to at least produce yeah. at a competent level at the very yeah. I mean, bare he, minimum. He didn't step foot wrong, did he? Like um, he? He made a great save in 90 minutes. No, well, I mean, was in. there's that yeah. one point, there's that one point <clears throat> blank me. save that was absolutely yeah. ridiculous. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm, I'm you know, frog in my throat here. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. The uh, um, Huntelaar, was it class Huntelaar? It, 80th minute yes. or something like that, like keeps us right in the game. So yeah, that's something brilliant. like that. Um, but the, the teenagers, the youth alone weren't there. The stars alone, like Genie was his imperious best. Robbo looks like he got injured halfway through, was uh, uncomfortable for five minutes, bandaged it up, and it was like a Monty Python sketch. Like, you know, the one where he loses both arms. He's like, no, it's just a scratch. Carries on and plays brilliant. Like, he's just fantastic, isn't he, Paul? Oh, yeah. I mean... I want to go back really quick to Kelleher because I think one of the things that I really, when we looked at that match, like we can say what we want to say about his play, right? But one of the things that I really enjoyed after the game was just the genuine sort of, uh, the genuine joy he had. Like he was just really yeah. like enjoying the moment. Like there wasn't this, like, he wasn't like, I don't know, man, it was just really pure. Yeah. You don't see that a whole lot. Yeah. Um, with debuts, I mean, you know, a lot of times they like shake hands and they run off and they get in the they get in the dressing room and, and they're gone. But like, he he genuinely like wanted to stay out on the pitch for a minute and just soak it in. Like I like to me that was like as enjoyable for me as like the actual actual absolutely. performance itself. No, sorry, I can right? like, no, digress. That's that was kind of getting to my next point actually. Um, you know, watching his post match interview. And two things I noticed about that. The first thing was at the very end when they asked him about, you know, people back in Cork, he like, yeah. his accent goes from, you know, regular, a little bit uh, of an Irish tang to it. Full on Cork accent. Full yeah. on Cork Irish accent. Yeah. Just like that. And that was the really Cork funny accent, to watch. For those who might not um, know, it's very lyrical. It's a, it's a very lyrical accent compared comparatively even in ireland it's more lyrical than any other irish dialect it's very um it's weird it sounds like drunken french it's it's, <laughs> it's it really does 
Is that is that does it compare to the Welsh? Um, it kind of does, yeah. Oh God, the Welsh accent is something. Kind of does, yeah. It's, it's very lilty. The 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 Welsh accent's got a a lovely lilt to it, and so does the Cork accent. Yeah, that's fair. yeah, man. I was I was good over there. Like I spent uh, a year studying in school over there, and I was good until I met like. So when I went up to Wales, I was like, what the hell? What is even You'd happening? Like, reading the street signs there was just yeah. like... And the Cork people talk right. very fast, so they could, they could be saying a whole sentence at you, and all really they're saying to you is, How, how's it going? Are you, how are you doing? You know? <laughs> but uh, My Irish friends are just from Belfast, yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's nice, clear. Belfast is only, only up, up the road accent. from me. Um, but uh, yeah, oh, nice. um, I'm sure all the people, yeah, I'm but sure anyway, all the back people back topic. at Cork are loving it because like he, I remember watching a video a while back where he, he was going back to his uh, home GAA, uh, Gaelic Irish football team. Um, like, so for those who don't know about that sport is they play with the same football style, but it's in your hands and, and you can like pick the ball up and things like that. But um, so it's very hand to eye. That's the one that's like the, uh, it's kind of like a soccer goal with a football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Field so you get a point for top, over right? the bar and you get yeah. three points for a goal. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a good sport. Hand-to-eye contact, which is probably where he started honing in his skills to be a, a, a first-class goalkeeper, which, you know, like Paul said, we, we could pop the brakes a little. But I've watched plenty of videos of him. Like, he looks good with his hands. He looks good with his feet. So only time will tell. He's 22. But, um you know, and getting a clap hug, 90th minute, like that just goes to show. Um, so like we could go through the list, like everybody had a pretty decent game. Um, up front, misfired quite a bit, but midfield was fantastic. Backline was fantastic. Goalkeeper, fantastic. Um, who's your man of the match? Parker, let's go to you. I'd have to say Kelleher. No pressure, because, no know, pressure. It's... <laughs> no, but like, you know, a one nil victory isn't easy to come by, defensively speaking. Because as soon as you make one slip up, you make one mistake, that's a draw immediately. Yeah. You just lost two points. So I think as the fact that the keeper is the absolute last line of defense and arguably the leader of the defense of that back four. I'd have to give it to him. Paul? Yeah, I'll probably be in the minority here. I'll actually go with Curtis and I'll tell you why, because, you know, the opposite of that is, you know, you, you got to score to win, you know, a nil, nil is a, you know, a game is a, is a draw. And, and for me in a game when our front three was misfiring largely, uh, we had loads of like wasted opportunity. I just felt like everybody's first touch was a little heavy on the night. Um, you know, Jones comes in, smacks one off the post in the first 20 minutes, um, which was, which is an incredible strike on its own. And then, um, you know, is in the spot, the pop-up for the second half goal. Um, and I think his, his, his performance is trending up. I mean, versus Brighton, he was, he was really solid. And the game before that, he was really good. Um, and he's playing amongst some of the best um, starting 11 players in the entire world in shining right now, which is something to be said for a yeah, teenager. Um, and, you know, he, he's, he's fantastic. Like, he's, he's living his dream. 
but uh, you, I can't fault either of those because, look, they're they're two kids and they've just come onto the the big stage and and provided. Um, so as this is uh, Klopp's fourth consecutive campaign in the Champions League, and we finally. Is that just for, for, us, for us, or is that including fourth consecutive? Okay. Uh, but what's different about this one is we don't have to wait until the last day. <laughs> um, we don't necessarily need to build up to uh, the match that's um, what uh, two weeks away or whatever now it is. I don't know. Um, it's a. It, I've seen the term "dead rubber," which is which is great being thrown around back home in the in the tabloids back home. Uh, so it, it's a, a, a non-game. We can field whoever, well, we can't field whoever we want, um, but we can certainly rest a few players against Michelin, which is great. Um, but yeah, fourth time's a charm, I guess, Paul. What do you think? The, 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 the other three were, uh, we left it a bit late. Yeah, well, I mean, if there's ever a year where you're going to want to get it done early, this would probably <laughs> be the year, you know, considering the fact that we have three months of like a yeah. game every three days. Um, and I was looking at some, I was looking at this graphic that was basically charting muscle injuries this year since we didn't have preseason and COVID and all that stuff. And we're, we're averaging a muscle injury every 140 oh minutes right God. now, which is like absolutely insane to think about. Like, that's insane. Like, it makes me just want to take the three zero forfeit and wrap everybody in a blanket and leave them home. Like, like I mean, it's, it's wow. absolutely nuts, man. Like, it's incredible. So, yeah, if there's, there's a year you want to get it done, what do you early, make this of that, Parker? Muscle injuries every 140 I mean, minutes? At, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to one-up, Paul, your suggestion of wrapping players up in blankets. Just throw a couple fans on. You know, yeah. Yeah. get on to Liverpool City Center. Shout out who <laughs> wants to play in red. First 11 people. Let's get go. Lobbed. <laughs> I mean, it's. I, the thing is, and my cousin, she works for our local NBA team. Um, I was talking to her about this that, you know, this season is already being so compressed and there's no good way about it. You know, on just on the side of the operations side of it, it's a total nightmare. That's more her side of things. But just looking at it from the player's side of it, you know, they had a very, very minimal break. They're back to back to back to back to back matches with training in between, traveling, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's beyond a joke. I mean, yeah. It's only natural that injuries are going to happen. You know, the human body isn't meant to be doing that. You know, it needs periods of break. That's why, you know, your muscles send a pain to your body when it needs time, yeah. when they need time to heal. From a pure physiological standpoint, your body needs breaks as much as you don't want to admit it. I've heard people saying like, oh, well, they're professional athletes. They should be able to handle it. Or like, I mean, oh, yeah, well, they're making 150K a week. They should. I'm like, like oh, yeah. Okay. Let me repair like my ACL with a couple yeah. dollar bills real quick. Like their body gives a yeah. shit about what their bank account right. is like. Right. And it's like, <laughs> the, the thing is for me is like, 
I think that people that don't that say that don't understand on how different of a level a professional athlete is above a normal person, physically speaking. Um, you know, I'll give it one example. Um, I did this one charity golf tournament with former Detroit Tigers baseball players. And um, not the year that I played with my dad, but the year before my dad played with Al Kaline, which if you guys don't know about baseball, absolute legend of the game from the 60s, I want to say. He was about, he passed away last year and he was like late 80s, early 90s. So just to give you a time reference. So he was, you know, mid 80s when we played golf with my dad and he was out driving my dad, hitting it straight as an arrow as, you know, an old man. So stuff like that is just what I don't think people realize is that, you know, athletes, genetically speaking, along with their training they're just better than us and like it's kind of crappy to put it that bluntly to say that oh well they're genetically superior but like genetics plays a massive role into athletic talent you know i'm five six i'm never (laughs) playing in the nba period no matter how hard i try no matter if i train 24 hours a day seven days a week i ain't making it in the nba so I, you know, they don't realize that with that addition to strength, with that addition to height, size, speed, that still comes at a cost. You know, stuff still is going to break, whether you like it or not. And I just think people need to like. I mean, if, if we're talking that. about injuries now, we might as well do an injury warm uh, um, <laughs> update. Uh, I read something that Klopp was quoted as saying is that uh, Virgil's yeah. knee doesn't look like a knee right now um, after his surgery. But he's like, he said, but it's not a normal knee anyway. <laughs> it doesn't look what like a knee is supposed to look like or something like that, but... Uh, he's he's box office is our manager. Like he he just it comes up with the most ridiculous quotes. Like he's he's brilliant. But um, Trent will be back. There's soon. something he's, he's he's coming back. He's he's yeah. training. Um, and Kaita is apparently on on the verge again. So there's some good news as well. But we've got a five day break, five whole days until our next game. God bless. So, who knows what is going to happen on the training pitch? <laughs> uh, knock it good and hard. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the game itself, we've pretty much covered. Uh, the Champions League is, as seen in the news, due for uh, an overhaul in 2024. They're trying to do what's called the Swiss model, which is turning it into a 32 to 36 club group uh, game. And then uh, you get 10 matches, five home, five away, and your points are then registered in a single league table, and the top 16 will go through. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's in order to do um, less games, apparently, but, you know, this is 2024 we're talking about, a lot, long time between here and there. Um, I don't know if you guys read about it or want to say anything about the, the fixture congestion situation. Um 
obviously club had yeah, his say a few um, weeks back. Let's uh, let's hear what you guys have to say. I mean, I've done Swiss brackets or Swiss pools, whatever the proper term is for it before for uh, video game tournaments, which obviously different than uh, different than football. But I felt like it was a little bit more of a hectic schedule to do than just a typical regular round robin tournament. Um, just because of the fact that like the balancing up the scheduling got really difficult and got more difficult. Yeah. Obviously there's a difference between a bunch of twenties to thirties nerds and all of the big brain business type people that are in uh, UEFA. However, I don't think it's going to alleviate any of the major issues that we have with fixture uh, congestion. What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, congestion. Thank you. I, I, it's one of those things that works better on paper than in practice. I think, and really, the only way that it's going to fix the congestion is cutting down the amount of teams. Yeah, not not increasing it. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's going to make the smaller clubs unhappy. That's a very fair and valid point. However, there's no other way to fix the congestion. And even if it's just, you know, temporary, hey, for the next three or four years, while we're getting done with all this COVID crap and recovering from it financially and stuff, we're just going to do it yeah. smaller. Paul? Well, I don't know, man. I feel, I, man, every time we have these conversations, I end up, I feel like the old guy out in the woods who's like <laughs> yelling at the tree. Um, <laughs> like to me, it's like the fixture congestion issue. Like Champions League really isn't the issue. I mean, you've got essentially six teams that play European football every year that have this problem. And, and, and the problem isn't necessarily the Champions League. It's in the balance of trying to juggle it with two other domestic cups. So, like, to me, like, you're only addressing one spoke in the wheel. The other issue, the one that obviously has been the most recent issue, is these teams are traveling on Sunday and Saturday and uh, for domestic stuff and internationally on Wednesday, Thursday, right? So I think the, one of the major issues is that, like, there has to be some sort of coming together between the FA, FIFA, and the broadcasters and sorting out what is fair for these teams. Because I think the, conge the congestion issue is really just amplified when a team that plays late turns around and plays early because they want a primetime slot. You know what I mean? Or they, wanna, they want them in that 1230 spot for a Far East market. Like, so, like – the whole thing for champions, like I personally am not in favor in, in making the champions league smaller. And the reason is, is because I think some of the really, really cool stories that come in a tournament like this come from, you know, a lot or like a, a small team from a small yeah. country coming through like the Romanian league. Like, I mean, I want to see those stories, you know, um, if I don't want to see like Real Madrid versus Barcelona every year, like, I don't like, I mean, I get it. That stuff 
pays from a broadcasting standpoint. But for me as a casual a neutral fan, that's not the most yeah. exciting matchup to me. Um, even if it is a, even if it's a no, less predictable matchup. Point. Um, so, I mean, so what so would like, you think then? Just while you're on that point, so don't get rid of it. some of don't get rid of some of the a, uh, big leagues teams. Don't change it because I'm an old dog that doesn't want its water <laughs> dish moved. Um, but I, I mean, I, I really think I don't know if there's a fix because it requires three separate parties with three separate interests coming in and doing a little thing where they have to meet in the middle, and nobody wants to ever nobody do wants that. To nobody wants to. Nobody wants. To, no, nobody ever wants to go ahead and meet in the middle on anything and seed over money. Um, and, and I think that's the problem. You know, honestly, to me, it, it, and this really pains me to say, because I know there's a lot of history and tradition behind it, which is really, really beautiful. I, man, we got to look at the domestic cups. I don't know how important those are to teams anymore. I really don't. I mean, they're important for the lower league teams in, in yeah. terms of uh, income. That's, that's super important. But I mean, it's a throwaway competition for the top six right now. Um, and, and you know what I mean? Like you can say all you want about the tradition, respecting opposition, respecting the, the tradition of the cup, but like, that's just the reality of it. Especially when you have a league that doesn't want to allow five subs. For instance, the wanna, FA you know, like, cup, these the are FA things cup that you're asking. draw was made the other day. So Maine is a town just outside of Liverpool, I believe. I've, I've fucked if I know the, the keepers are scouser. Yeah. And so the keeper was a scouser yeah. and at the end of the game runs to the local co-op to the shop and gets the beers in after they won. So guess I saw who they that. drew? It's amazing. They drew Tottenham. They drew Spurs in the next round. So look what it means to them. Like, I, I totally get your point, you know. Yeah, and but I love that. Who, who does it I mean more that. to? You know, it obviously means more to me than it does to Spurs. Um and, and, and I wonder if it's just – I wonder if there's a way that you play the, the earliest rounds with the smaller teams in the summer or something like that so that, like, the later rounds are happening earlier in the year. The, you know, the problem is, is when all these things start accumulating and snowballing into December. That's when it just becomes a cluster. Right. So, you know, this is what I mean. There's, like, the whole idea of just – addressing the champions league i think is is laughable in terms of just like you know it, it, it's like having a three-legged chair you're only you're only addressing one part of the, uh, yeah, of the huge absolutely. problem i mean it's it's a difficult situation like you said you're never going to get those three to fucking concede four you're never going to get all these other countries to concede I, it's the champions league and yeah. and yeah and and they're, they're never going to get it together like if the fa and the broadcasters can't get it together to sort it out in the prem. How are they going to do it all together? Yeah. You know. And I mean, yeah. there's just so much fucking money yeah. flying around on this too. You know, it's it's ludicrous the amount of money that rides on Champions yeah. League and stuff, just because you know that's where the most universal eyes are on. You know. Not many people that are exclusively watch Bundesliga are going to yeah. watch the Premier League, right. right? But a lot of Bundesliga, a lot more Bundesliga people are going to watch the Champions League than watch the Premier League. So all those sponsors that are going to be raking in a 
whole lot yeah. more money. Um, so I think that's part of why A, it's never going to shrink. Yeah. B, no one's going to collaborate. And C, it's only going to grow and get worse. Yeah. C, the World <laughs> Cup. So, uh, yeah, uh, Marine are uh, a team in Merseyside. So, um, good luck to them against Spurs, obviously. Uh, we're all rooting for them. <laughs> but uh, moving to, um, obviously, as well, the news that Liverpool are again playing Villa in the FA Cup, which I, I hadn't planned on talking about the FA Cup results. Um, but, yeah, Villa again in the Cup. That should be fun. Um, but the Premier League, lads, the, the last time uh, we had the listeners, it was before Thanksgiving. Um, obviously, a belated happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Um, how was your Thanksgiving, lads? And did you wake up for the Liverpool game? So I did have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for asking. Uh, it was a good time. I did wake up for the Liverpool game. However, I wasn't able to watch it because I was sitting in a deer <laughs> blind. So I was just going based off of when Twitter would refresh. I texted it. We, yeah, we yeah. texted updates. Yeah. Pretty yeah. good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, VAR's a joke. Two disallowed goals. <laughs> Paul. You done the player ratings. What the hell? Just, just end it for us. Yeah, but but I rate <laughs> the players, man. I don't rate I don't rate VAR. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank God. Um, yeah, man. I mean, what what are we talking yeah, about? Are we talking VAR about VAR or players? I mean, spoken I, about because look, it, that weekend it was horrible. Okay. Right? So it was our game, and then I don't know if you've seen the Villa game yes. after that. It was the day after. The Villa had a. Yes. No, the Leeds, Leeds game. Yeah. Leeds, Villa had won the day after as well. It was a terrible call in the Villa VAR. Oh, VAR okay. of the weekend just, again, was terrible. But, yeah, we're talking about VAR in our game. Yeah, so, I, you know, in our game, I think it was Mark Halsey, yep. the, the ex-Prem ref, um, I think he was like 15 years or something in the Prem. He, I think he kind of nailed this thing. Like, you know, I know we've talked about it before, but, like, in this situation, all right, let me backtrack. So, like, for, for me, VAR was created with really two, two separate ideas. One is to lift the burden of the actual decision on some of the big moments of the games that are super, super fast-paced from the actual center ref. Um, so, to alleviate the burden off the ref and protect the ref. The second was to protect the integrity of the league mm -hmm. and the results, Right. So, like, when we look at all the stuff, when we look at all the things that are happening with VAR, has it done either of those? And in, in, in my opinion, it's made it worse for the refs. Um, and, and in my opinion, it's, it's solid results. I mean, I, there are straight corrupted results from the beginning of the season with the Tottenham handball, which should have never been called. The United got the pen and went on won the game. The United pen that happened in injury time. Or after the game was over. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you, and these are like, that's from the beginning of the season all the way through. We have, yeah, we have the offside call on Watkins, which was crazy. We had the Bamford one where they called yeah. it off on his yeah. finger pointing. Like, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about decisions where that are changing the course of the game based on errors where there's misinterpretations of the actual laws that VAR has implemented 
or just straight up rules being broken and disregarded by the referees. Like for instance, in our game versus Brighton, and my major problem with this is you have a referee that sees a play, doesn't call it. You have assistant referee who comes behind the referee, sees yeah. it and doesn't call it. Now you have some dude in Stockley park in a basement drinking diet sodas and phones in and tells the guy to go take a look. Now the problem to me is we don't hear that communication. Uh-huh. We have no idea what's being said. If you're watching cricket, if you're watching rugby, any of these other sports that have instituted this, the listener can be, the actual viewer can hear the conversation, be educated about yeah. how they're coming to the conclusion. We don't see any of that. We see him running over to the monitor. And in my opinion, when you have another referee that's offsite looking at something in slow motion, telling a ref to go take another look at it, in my opinion, you're indirectly putting pressure on that referee's initial decision. And you're not supposed to, to, by the law, apparently, uh, you're not supposed to look at it in slow motion. The replays, you're not on VAR. I just read that the other day. You I mean, that's just another thing. Most. Yeah, and that's just another thing. We yeah. don't hear what they're saying, and that, that's a problem. That's, that's a serious problem. Like, to me, and Halsey kind of nails it. Like, Halsey says, like, in his opinion – these people at Stockley Park are telling the referees to change calls uh, by, by essentially calling them to the, the, to the monitor to have another look in some instances. In, like, clear and obvious, yeah. obviously, and fuck all now. Because, I mean, we're slowing things down in freezing frames and uh, in, in drawing these pixelated lines on offsides calls that are razor thin to determine things. Like, that's... That's not how this was supposed to be. It takes the spirit of the game away because we're interrupting the flow of the game. We're, like, making decisions that cost teams points based on things that are, yeah. like, razor-thin margins. Um, it's just, it, like, it's not protecting the referees, and it's not, it's not protecting results. And, like, to me, that's what this whole thing was designed mm-hmm. to do. It's doing neither of those. It's muddying the waters. And, like, to me, I mean – I'm obviously not a glass half full guy, but to me, it like points towards opening the door from, for some very corrupt things to happen. Oh, yeah. if they're not already happening. Um, and and that's, a, that's a major problem for me because there's a real lack of transparency yeah. for anyone. And we're talking about a sport that's called the beautiful game. Like it took so long for the idea of this to come through. And this was one of the major fears years ago. I remember the conversation a decade ago. I remember, you know, like, this was always the fear. A, would it slow the game down? And B, would it ruin the integrity of the game? And look, I just... Yeah, it's not, it's not poetry in motion Ex- after exactly. we look at this like, replay. For when Andy Robinson said in his interview, he's like, look, I, I see players, I see it not meaning as much. I know my mates, like he's a, he's a football fan too. Like, you know, he, do, he doesn't just play the game. He loves the game, you know, that's... That's the type of these people. Like, they're, they're, yeah. they're all about the game. And, like, you know, they're fans as well. So, if, if, it, if they're seeing it directly in their own eyes and playing it, and they see it from the refs themselves, like, I don't know. It's just – it's getting beyond the pale. It's, it's, it, it's really losing its charm on me. Parker, I – yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, Paul, like, go ahead. I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond the joke. I was just going to say, it's not funny. I mean, when was the last time you really got to let, let, let yeah. one rip on a goal celebration? You know what I mean? Like, it means, like, I see a goal now, and I'm just, like, yeah, I'm waiting. Like, 
And then by the time like it's it's the goal is upheld, that moment's passed anyway. So it's like, all right, cool. <laughs> like that's what gets me, Parker. Like the the goal celebration thing is like when you cut short that moment of joy and then bring it back and be like, no, it's not a goal, or no, it's a goal now. Now you can celebrate. Like that's just uh, how do you do that? You can't turn it on and off, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, Paul, you raised a really good point about it, um, about implications, um, you know, that if if it goes to VAR, that second ref is implying to the first ref, hey, you screwed something up here, you know, and I think, I do think that has something to do with it. And there's something there, psychologically speaking. I don't know enough about human psychology to give you an actual answer beyond yeah. just my gut feeling. But I think you raise a very good point that should be looked into more by people <laughs> smarter than me. That that option of second-guessing or that thought of second-guessing can make for misinformed decisions or rash decisions, even if you want to just put it more simply. Um, I mean, yeah, it's VAR definitely showed its colors of not being great yeah. the past few weeks. Um, it needs work. You know, I talked about before that in theory, there are ways that we could be making it better and we're not. I didn't even realize, honestly, that there was a rule about uh, not watching it yeah, back I just in slow-mo, which completely eliminates one of the ideas that I had for making VAR better. Yeah. Um, but, like, another thing, a random thought that popped into my head. So I studied in film school, and we have these things called dollies, Essentially, think of it as a really, really nice skateboard yes, on really nice tracks. Parts. And it's how, yeah, basically. It's, for those of you guys that don't know, it's how in any movie you're watching, how when they have a shot where it, like, gets really close in on an actor or actress's face, um, and, like, the camera is actually moving, not zoom, that's a dolly shot. Um, so dollies are a thing. They have motorized ones. In the theory, we should be able to have one that is programmed to go up and down the pitch following the ball. It follows the ball wherever the ball is going. And again, in theory, that should be able to eliminate any offsides calls, mistakes, rather. Because that camera can be right there aligned with the ball. Or with the last defender, rather. Again, that might be a little bit of a goofy kind of idea. But the point is, there are ways that we can make VAR yeah. less garbage. And for whatever reason, they just decide. I like the nah. idea of that, though. But the only problem I see with it is, imagine it's like uh, one of those electronic hairs that you have at the racetrack, you know, that, that zip along on, right. a, on a dolly, like you said. You know, it would eventually get in the player's way or a ball would break it. Uh, so let's build a, a track for it above the stadium and have it zip around there. You know? Well, 
like they even have the ones in uh american yeah, football all matches the, all the wires that uh the same with uh, rugby they have them there yeah like they can zip all around they're brilliant and like in basketball, it never gets in the way. And I think they have this, a very similar system. So, I think one of the things is we're we're, we're seeking perfection in an imperfect game. Yeah. And, and, and and like for me, it's like I like what the Dutch league's done. They they've they, they've taken this razor thin line and they've made them five millimeter lines, so there's a margin of error. They're drawing the line from the foot of the last defender, a five millimeter line. If the lines touch, players onside. You know, it, it, it's a clear point of contact that they're drawing a line from. So, like, there's there's not the ability to manipulate the frame uh, by a different angle. Um, and they're drawing the line consistently from the same part of the body. Like, to me, that's, like, as it, it, simple as it gets. Like, I don't understand why we're, we're making things more complicated than they need to be um, in this quest for perfection. Like... The game's entertaining yep. if goals are scored, right? I mean, we want to protect defenders and protect defense, but, like, it's kind of like baseball where the tie goes to the runner, right? I mean, like, to me, it's like we don't – like, Advantage what are always we doing? just to go like, to the forward. Just, always just to go to the forward. And, right. Right. That's how it should be. I mean, the, 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 anybody who's played the game understands the difficulty it takes to time a run, the difficulty it takes to knock a pass mm-hmm. into, that, into that alley, into that channel. Like, I mean, it just makes sense anyway. If we're going to slow this thing down and draw lines, let's, let's have a margin of error and let's have a decent point of contact that we're consistently drawing that line from. Like, I don't – I like, it really, like, frustrates and blows my mind because people are paid tons of money to make these decisions. And out of a room, these are the best ideas that came out. And I don't understand that because I'm not very smart. But I feel like, like – I feel like – I feel like I can make this easier and simpler in a way that people understand it would improve the current system. And some dude that's almost 40 and fat in a, in the house that looks like a serial killer's this on zoom today. When I turned my zoom on, I was like, I got to hang some pictures up in here, but like, it shouldn't be me coming yeah, up with this. But shit, you know, you know that's, what I mean? that's, that's the way of the world, man. The, the, the lunatics are running the asylum here and they're running away right. with this. And, and, you know that, that was always a, a problem levied at, at uh, or leveled at uh, referees that they don't know the game inside and out, and and all these players now or all these um, referees now in Stockley Park, which you know I I just it's beginning to really grate on me. Like I I almost don't recognize the same game anymore. Like it's mad. I'm I'm beginning to sound like all those old men that I was when I was young. I was like. Pele, who? What? You know, like, and ah, the ball was heavier back in my day, and when it got wet, it would kill you. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we're back. We're back to the pitch side monitor, right? Like, if you call a referee over to the pitch side monitor to have another look, you should be calling him over there because it was a clear and obvious error on his part. Like straight up, that's why you should call him over there. And I think some of the refs, I don't think everybody's on the same page. I think some of the refs think that. So when they go over to the monitor, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I must have yeah. missed it. You know what I mean? Um, and so like, I just, there's, there is a real lack of transparency and there's a real lack of all the referees understanding the ins and outs of what should be a fairly simple system with everybody being on the same page and they're not. And I guess this is why none of the English refs are in the top yeah. elite for like, I don't know. Like, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, 
But elaborate a little bit on this Dutch league, because the, the picture I seen was like a JPEG off a newspaper from the 1980s. Like... <laughs> yeah, that's the Dutch so league. What do you want? So five centimetres, right? So, and they draw the line from the same point on everybody's body? Like what? Like your belly button or what? They're using the foot of... They're, no, they're using right. the foot of the last defender. So his, yep. his furthest part back, and they're taking that line... So they're taking a that line, line. And making it a, and growing you know, two and yeah, a half centimeters either line. way. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. And then, and then they're taking the runner and doing the same thing. If those lines connect at any point, it's onside. I heard this argument ages ago. Somebody phoned in on TalkSport, and I think he was a – or not TalkSport, fucking TalkSport, um, on BBC uh, 606 or something. And he was a uh, – uh, which isn't much better, but it's better than TalkSport. Don't listen to fucking TalkSport. <laughs> Jesus Christ. They put it Do on not. XM radio, and as soon as that please. comes on, I'm like, Noop. That was a, a slip of the tongue. I do not listen to fucking TalkSport. People don't phone in. Do not listen to that. Um, Our next yeah, Twitter post. A, uh, this just for in. those who don't know, don't listen to TalkSport. Um, don't read any of their articles. They're connected <laughs> with the Sun and Liverpool. Fuck the Sun. Um, so yeah, um, but yeah, I like that. That seems like a great way to go about it. That's a that's a modern day solution to a, a problem that is is happening currently. And like it, when you know the freaky deaky Dutch man, you gotta love them. They play sexy football and they know how to fucking get VAR right. That is brilliant. Yep. Yeah, I was just looking up. They're like, big on it. They're big on tech. Oh, yeah. They're, they're like brilliant. Really they they in place like yeah. built a, yeah. a 3D printed bridge in place. First country in the world to do yeah. it. Who would Amazing. ever think of that shit? It's a long way from wooden shoes, man. <laughs> I went to a Dutch college and, uh, yeah, wooden <laughs> shoes is a real thing. I didn't think, I didn't think it was actually real. I thought it was just like, oh, it's just a thing from the past. They don't do that. They probably think it's dumb. No, no, the Dutch people still really. They're like good it. for people. They're good for people like you and me, Parker, too, because they're. The yeah, it gives me a still, few inches. Yeah, their girls are still really pretty, but they're not like six feet like the, the Nords and the Swedes. So like. <laughs> oh, they were at my college. Oh, good. Not for me, man. Uh, the kids today, the jeans are fucking anyway. phenomenal. Yeah. As soon as I saw a van or vander or duh, I'd be like, yeah, how's it going? <laughs> Staring up at them. Um, well, lads, we've had plenty to talk about on this pod. So we went a wee bit long. Uh, we haven't really touched on Wolves um, coming up. But um, obviously, shout out to Rob Jimenez, who had a fractured skull last time out against David Luiz. Um, so obviously, wish him well. But I mean... <laughs> At this stage, lads, what do you think? I mean, the Prem, five days rest. What are we going to do with ourselves? Well, that's, that's the big thing. That's that's my big thing I'm excited fans. for, you know. I think the rest, the rest will do them good. Obviously, again, they're still yeah. going to be training. However, that extra five days of rest, that time not spent traveling... It's going to do them good. Granted, you know, you can make the argument from an American point of view that 
traveling within England isn't that far. That's an argument you can make. Personally, I would say it's pretty fair, but I also used to have to commute an hour each way to work every day, so I have a little bit of a biased opinion on that. That said, the time off from just being able to stay in Liverpool, just being able to stay Merseyside, not worry about big travel, none of that stuff, and no matches, that's going to be doing the guys a lot of good. I don't think it's enough of a break still. I think they could use a good week and a half, two weeks. However, it's better than, you know, the three or four days that we've been getting. So I count as a win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Genie's played like over the past 17 days, he's played like nine games or something like that. Oh, I can't remember that. If that's right or not, like I can't remember. He wait, he is a machine. He's a machine, man. Right, yeah. all his I mean, Dutch games. Genie is immense. Um, the sooner that contract gets sorted out, the better. But uh, yeah, five days off. <laughs> like Wolves coming up. Wolves are a good side, despite missing where all the men is. Like, yeah. what, what's your take, Paul? Do you think we'll what? Give us a, a score prediction. Um. Man, Wolves are not scoring goals like, you know, like they have in the past couple seasons, but they are really good. Um, I'll say, I'll say two one Liverpool. Um, I think you know, I just don't think they're scoring goals like they did. They got to make a big adjustment now um, with Jimenez out. Potence is is Potence is really dangerous. Neto is is dangerous. Um, obviously, Traore is probably going to start. Um, cause he played well against us last time and they're, they're, they're out one attacker. Um, or they'll go with this kid Silva, this, uh, this Portuguese wonder kid Silva, who's, who's apparently going to be the next big thing. Um, so we'll see, we'll see, but they're, they're a good team. Um, who wants a good I, I say two one. Uh, Parker, what do you, you, you got something yeah. different or two one sounds good. I was thinking, well, he was talking. I was thinking, yeah. I think I'm going with 2-1. I mean, so, Paulie stole it from me, but, yeah, 2-1. I think yeah. uh, I agree with your point. Trevor is definitely going to start. Man's absolutely gargantuan. <laughs> um, so, he, I mean, he's one of their best players. He's quick. He can shoot. Yeah. He's good. He should be starting if they want to win. Um, but yeah, I think it will be as, as usual, I'll go in with an overly in-depth blind shot that way. If I'm right, I get to tell that I'm right. And if I'm wrong, it's just, oh, well, it's a blind Whoa. shot in the dark. Um, Treyarch is going to score first. And then we'll see Mo and Ooh, Hendo. Really pushing out the, out the, out the blocks here for Hendo getting on the score sheet. All right. I like it. Oh yeah. Well, if you're if, go on then. If you're being outlandish, I'll stick my neck on the line too. I'm going. Why not? Why not? Four nil, and Kelleher's getting a hat trick. Um, <laughs> no, um, no. Let's uh, let's go. Let's go four nil. Why not? Come on, just just do it for a little early December present. Um, but yeah, I mean. 
it's um it's exciting times the christmas period and this five day period that we have off in december is mad it's like i don't get it but um i yeah, know what we're five gonna do with ourselves like a, we could have a training camp you know <laughs> <laughs> but um lads it's um been a pleasure i don't really know what else to say about the wolves game i think we're all set up and, and raring to go um five days off being at anfield gonna be at anfield again and the Christmas period's coming up. We've got a few injuries coming back. It's not all doom and gloom. We're doing well. Oh, we got we got yeah, bright future absolutely. coming. Plus, fans back in the cop will actually get to hear. Well, you're not you're not supposed to be song singing too much, and you're in. not supposed to be overly celebrating during goals, and you're not supposed to be. Yeah. That sounds you're like not supposed to be yeah, going to the happen. toilet all that sounds at time. Like, what are you supposed to do? Go during the game. Yeah. All those things sound really enforceable. They sound really. I mean, yeah. It's kind of like in uh, ice hockey. You're not really (laughs) supposed to fight. That reminds me of that reminds me of like my my son's second grade Zoom class. Like when they tell him to be quiet, it's like, yeah, okay. Good luck with that. The the bullet points here says fans will be told to arrive at stadiums early. Social distancing must be observed. Fans will be advised against using toilet facilities at peak times, at halftime and at the end of the game. So, like what, during the game? No, I'm going to watch the game, thank you. (laughs) Supporters are being asked to avoid unnecessary movement and stay in their seats throughout the game, (laughs) if possible. They should also maintain safe distances during goal celebrations. So, yeah. None yeah, of that. none of that's going to that happen. But um, they're going to be spread out over the cop and the main stand, so you never know. They'll be, they, they'll be further enough, uh, far enough apart, but we'll still be able to hear them. Like you said, Parker, that's the great thing. Yeah. How many people was it in total again? Yeah. 2,000, so that's... I think the Anfield holds like 40K yeah, or something like that. Four, Mid-40s. Oh no! With the new stand, it'll be—it's got to be like forty-eight. Um, but yeah, so two thousand is going to be there, and it was—you um, know, obviously there's no away fans, you know, there's no travel, so it's just the Liverpool fans, which is great. Um, but yeah, like I don't know anything else to to add before we bid our farewells to the. To the nation, Parker and Paul. I don't have I'm anything. About, I'm about Paul. to go hang. I'm about to go hang some pictures up so my place is not like serious. For the next time, like I got on this and I put the thing on me and I was like looking at. Like I was like, wow, I should really do something with this place. If people are going to be concerned if this ever gets anywhere. I have the recording. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right, I mean, you'll yeah, some pictures. I'll talk to you later, well, there we have it. Uh, folks, as always, uh, we are the American Scousers. We've conquered all Europe. We're never going to stop. LA, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Um, turn on, tune in, and cop out with us. Um, if you're in need of any more fine materials to, to read, we've got articles from, from Paul and Parker and all the rest, the great guys behind the scenes on AmericanScouser.com. Follow us on Twitter and IG and all the rest of it. Until then, be good to yourselves and... Up the Reds.
up the yeah. reds later later boys